It's an exciting time. The theme on this series is the story of a king. And it is honestly the most significant and life-changing story you will ever hear, ever study, ever comprehend. It will change your life. And of course, you know because it's Christmas. And you know because of some of the graphics already that it is the story of Jesus. Jesus is that king who willingly gave up his throne to be a part of our world for one purpose and one purpose only. It wasn't like God needed to visit the world to see what was going on. It's not like he needed to go on vacation and leave heaven for a while and come down here as his resort or second home. He came for one purpose because we have made so many bad decisions and we have moved so far away from him. The only hope we had, the only way we could find reconciliation and what we call redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, was for him to come here and pay the price, as we just sang, for a debt we could not pay. Our sin had put us so deep in the hole, had put us so far away from the presence of God. Jesus came to pay that debt so that we could have a relationship with him. So we could do just like Carly did this morning. We can make that decision to believe in and trust in Jesus and have our lives changed. The story begins in an unusual way. This will be a study of Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, and so you can follow along in scripture with us. It begins with an announcement of one who will come first and herald this king. So he's not the king, but he is the one who comes ahead of the king. And the story begins in Luke chapter one in verse five. We're introduced to a couple that are an amazing example of what it's like to live the faith life. In verse five, we're introduced to this couple. We're told who they are. We're told their circumstances. They are vocationally priests serving in the temple in Jerusalem. The lady, Elizabeth, is actually the daughter of priesthood. She has been of the lineage of the priesthood. She is a daughter of the lineage of Aaron. And so she's known basically nothing but what it means to serve God and live for God the entirety of her life. And in verse six, we're told that's exactly the type of person she is and the type of person her husband, Zechariah, who is the priest, who is the one that ministers to the people and ministers to God on behalf of the people. In verse six, it says, both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. What an amazing commendation to be told in scripture which is inspired by the Holy Spirit and so it becomes the very word of God permanently and authoritatively working in our lives and we're told this couple is by their very nature and by the very nature of their faith righteous and not righteous by man's standard but righteous in God's sight but here's a great lesson and these types of things we'll see over and over again here is a lesson that even when you do everything right, life can be hard. How do you live and how do you remember the hope that's in this story when you're utterly disappointed, potentially even devastated? Elizabeth will describe her circumstances as a mother who never was a mother. 
She, in her heart, wanted more than anything else to be a mom. She, in her heart, more than anything else, wanted to raise a child. And she couldn't do it. Circumstances wouldn't allow it. Physically, biologically, it couldn't take place. And now they've reached an elder stage of life, and so there's no possibility. And we're bluntly told that by the physician, Luke. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. Many of you can understand this. But the significance of this is here is a lady who has been faithful all her life. Here's a couple that have lived with righteousness in the eyes of God. And yet the one thing she ever wanted to do has been denied her until this moment. And so it makes sense that she learned how to live and how to remember and how to be faithful even when her life was an utter disappointment. And we'll see that in Zechariah as we move to verse eight because he has been faithful even though he lives in the midst of doubt. And I'm, I'm saying mist on purpose. If you're on version and you're looking at the notes right now, you'll see it's spelled M-I-S-T. It's not spelled midst as in M-I-D-S-T. It's M-I-S-T because doubt creates fog in our lives. Doubt makes it hard to see the horizon. Doubt makes it hard to notice and, and recognize the beauty of the circumstances, just like a thick fog that, that comes in and blurs our vision and, and traps us with, with limited eyesight. Doubt does that to our hearts and it does it to our lives. And so Elizabeth is disappointed even though she's remained faithful. And now Zechariah is questioning and can't understand the miracle that's about to take place. In verse eight, it says, when his division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside. Now, let me just bear with me for one historical moment here. Zechariah is a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. He is a part of a division which is 18,000 priests in that one division. And they would take annually, when it was time to burn incense in the Holy of Holies, when it was time to do that, they would annually, by a lottery system, pick which priest, because only one priest was going to go into that room. And in this moment, Zechariah's name is picked. In fact, priest only served in this position one time in a lifetime. He has spent an entire career hoping, praying, and looking forward to this moment when, when he would actually bring the incense and bring the offering in to ask God to forgive the people of his land that he deeply loved and cared for. And this is that moment. But doubt makes it impossible to see that. The, the numeric evaluation of Zachariah's circumstances are literally a statistical improbability that out of all the priests, even beyond his division, his name would be picked in this moment. But Luke picks that up. If you go back to verse 8 and 10, look real quick. There's lots of references to time here. It's when his division is on duty. 
It happened that he was chosen by Lot. In verse 10, at the hour of incense, the whole assembly is there and they're praying outside. If you move down to verse 18 through 23, which records his conversation with Gabriel, the angel, the Gabriel flat out says, will be fulfilled in their proper time. Doubt makes it hard for us to recognize God's time. In fact, in verse 18, Zechariah looks at the angel, having just heard this amazing announcement that we're about to look at, that they're going to have a child, they're going to have specifically a son, which in their culture is the highest honor, and that son is going to be a forebearer. He is going to be one who prepares the hearts of the people for the Messiah, for the Savior, for God being in person in this world. And Zechariah's response, you have to remind yourself, he was considered upright in God's eyes. But even those who are faithful can have moments where doubt clouds our vision. How can I know this? He asked the angel. How can I know this? And as if preparing his own prosecution against the miracle that's about to happen, he tells Gabriel, as if, which is kind of an interesting thought. He's telling an angel from heaven who is eternal in nature as a messenger of God, um, in case you didn't know, Gabriel, I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. I love the angel's response. I am Gabriel. I, I mean, I just like that. Can you picture that? Angels are typically about nine feet high. They are warriors in nature, oftentimes in Scripture, equipped with significant swords. Um, they are not the cute little cherub that's hanging above your sink where you wash your dishes. These guys are mean, ferocious, capable, empowered by God, and they reflect the glory of God all the time, so they're blinding. That's why everybody who meets an angel, nobody meets an angel in the Bible that isn't just literally scared, literally, physically to the point of death. Zachariah's going, how can I know this? In case you haven't noticed, I'm not young, and I'm, by the way, Elizabeth's at least my age or more. This isn't going to happen. These circumstances, the things that are required in this moment, they haven't even been a part of our relationship in years. Gabriel, this isn't going to happen. And then Gabriel just says, I am Gabriel. By the way, if you don't recognize Gabriel, he, he, he says who he is. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I mean, Gabriel, he's not living by faith. This is his everyday reality. In fact, angels aren't even allowed to live by faith. They're not allowed to have the same salvation we have as God's ultimate creation. But he has come to see Zechariah and announce this amazing miracle. And Zechariah's response is, I don't, I don't, this, this doesn't calculate, this, this doesn't work out for me. How's this, how's this possibly going to happen? It's going to happen because God's in charge. And we forget that sometimes, especially when we're disappointed especially when things haven't gone the way we wanted them to, especially when things have crushed our spirit, when things have crushed our hearts, when, when circumstances have, have forced us under so much pressure we don't feel like we can stand up under it, especially in those moments we tend to have this doubt, this mist that comes in and clouds our vision, and we're just like, even if God spoke directly to us, we'd be like, I don't, I don't, I don't see how it can happen. 
I don't see how this can take place. Ironically, this is one of the few places where you find a punitive miracle. Gabriel tells Zechariah, hey, hey, Zach, <laughs> wrong choice to doubt. So now I'm going to make it the most difficult it possibly can be. You can't talk until all this has come to fulfillment. He's going to walk out of the temple. The people are going to be sitting there. The scripture tells us they're standing outside praying. The scripture tells us that they're standing outside and they're wondering. They're beginning to wonder, why is the priest in there so long? He should have been done by now. The priest last year had finished way before this. You all understand what that's like. You had a guest speaker that ended right on time last Sunday and you're thinking about Thanksgiving and I've already said it's an amazing holiday that celebrates food and we want to go to lunch. Live stream, you guys got it easy. I mean, you're there. You can go fix your food right now. The best you can do is go get a cup of coffee. We understand all of this. But now, this miracle is going to take place. And when Zechariah comes out of the temple, he's not going to be able to tell anyone. The scripture in this passage tells us that he stands outside motioning with hands. And the people come to the conclusion that because he was in the temple so long, And because he can't speak now, but he's still motioning that something took place, that a miracle's taken place. But it's punitive. It's it's punishment. Because Zechariah doubted in the moment. In the moment that he should have known was always God's timing. Think about the coincidence, what appears to be a coincidence. And yet, when his division came up, and as these things took place, and as the lottery was done, and he was chosen to go in, and at the very moment he's inside, all of these things are taking place, Gabriel shows up, it is all because of God's proper time. We don't get his calendar. We don't get his schedule. And sometimes that makes us feel like he's forgotten us, or maybe he didn't care as much as we thought he did, and it can be very discouraging. But faith takes us to the place and to the time and to the situation where we understand and we recognize it's always his time, not our time. Which is critical in the next stage in verse 11 because we remember. We remember how to live faithfully even when we're disappointed. We remember how to live even when our hearts and our minds take us to a place of doubt We always need to remember we're heard. As it describes the angel showing up next to the altar, speaking to Zechariah, who was terrified and overcome with with fear, the angel encourages him and assures him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Now, if you're you're looking, looking down there at verse 11 and 12, you probably ought to underline that. Your prayer has been heard. Our prayers are not idle conversations with ourselves. Our prayers are not some kind of geared up, mocked up, positive thinking. Our prayers are literal conversations with the literal one true God. And when we pray, he listens. Attentively, Psalms 18 says, he turns his head toward us. He, he turns and, and looks at us and listens to our prayers. 
Remember. Then as we look at the story of this king and the way he will change the world, remember, God hears us. We are never alone. Even if you have rejected him the entirety of your life, if today, if in this moment you say, you know what? I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. It's not working. Jesus, I'm going to give you a try. If you've never prayed a single day in your life and you decide today to pray something that simple, he will hear your prayer. And Jesus will come to live in you the same way he lives in us. Our prayers have been heard. Because the schedule doesn't match up with our schedule and because the circumstances look like they are outside of anyone's control or anyone's ability to succeed, it doesn't mean he's not listening and he hasn't heard. And then remember what can be. In verses 15 through 17, there's a brief description from Gabriel that describes what's going to take place. Referring to who is John the Baptist, this son that is now being, being um, promised to Elizabeth and to Zechariah. Referring to him, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer, which means he's probably taking a Nazarite vow, which was common in Jewish culture at the time. It's an extremely highly zealous commitment to your faith. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Most of us, if not all of us, we experienced the Holy Spirit coming to live in us when we made that decision to trust Christ. John the Baptist is going to have the Holy Spirit from the moment of conception. No scientific arguments over fetus versus babies, over life versus no life. From the moment, from the moment Elizabeth conceives. The Holy Spirit of God is living in her womb. He will turn away. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will be the impetus. He will be the initiator that brings a great spiritual movement amongst the people because they haven't heard God speak in 400 years. It is the quietest moment in the history of the world. After the book of Malachi, God essentially gets fed up and says, okay, this isn't working. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Nobody has heard a word from God. No preacher has said truth that was anointed by the presence of God. No teacher has helped understand the Bible with the assistance of the Holy Spirit illuminating that understanding. Nobody has done this for multiple generations. Zachariah, in this moment, is the first one to hear the actual word of God for over four centuries. And that new movement of God will turn the hearts of the people back to God. He will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. In that process, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, an indication of salvation. And the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, another indication of salvation. And John will make ready for the Lord a prepared people, ready to see and experience and hear what God wants to do. Remember what can be. So many times, especially when we're disappointed, 
especially when we're doubting, especially when we're not even sure we can believe the voice of God when he speaks directly to us, even in the presence of and through an angel. Remember what can be. Yes, it's been a bleak period of history. Yes, there has been the absence of God in everyone's life. But that doesn't mean God can't move and won't move and will move. We live in one of the longest periods of history without a significant revival or awakening in the hearts of God's people. The last major awakening was in the mid-1800s. There was a very small one that mostly impacted California during the Azuzu revival. There was what most of us believe a secondary one during the 1960s and 1970s with the Jesus movement, which has been the foundation of the majority of Christian worship in the 21st century. But no significant worldwide, nationwide movement of God. The fact that it hasn't been taking place doesn't mean it can't take place. Remember what can be. Because, and this is the last point, there is always hope. Zechariah comes home. He's finished with his job as a priest. He's, I don't know, writing or giving sign language or symbols or something. He's trying to convey to Elizabeth what's taking place, who I sense probably already was beginning to know and recognize Because in that moment in verse 24, Elizabeth has conceived. She kept herself in seclusion for five months. We actually don't know why. There wasn't anything in their culture that required it, but for whatever, maybe she just needed time to process that she was giving birth to the prophet who would prepare the way for the Messiah. But her conclusion, her conclusion, the Lord has done this for me. Remember, there is always hope. He has, in verse 25, he has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. There is always hope. It may not feel like it today because it may be that the disappointments and the devastations and even as she describes it, the disgrace in our life seems so overwhelming it can't be dealt with. But it can And Jesus is the one who can deal with it. It may may be so difficult to believe that these things could take place because I feel like I've prayed over and over and over and over again and I just don't see the answer. But there's always hope. Jesus embodies that hope. Why is Christmas so important? Because it is the birth of the Son of God who came to bring us that hope. And the reason that we keep saying remember is because the story of a king is the story of one who gave everything so you and I might have everything. It's God's love in its purest form for you and for me, for us. It's that life-changing work of Jesus.